When I look back over my long life, if there is one thing that leaps out at me, it's the role of luck and chance in our lives. Hello and welcome to the Church of Max and Anuj. Our guest today is one who is often forgotten by the older generation and unknown to our generation. But nevertheless, Catherine Graham paved the way for women leaders in business and brought the stock price of the Washington Post from just over $6 in 1971 to trading at $300 by the time she resigned as CEO 20 years later. Allow us to refresh your memory and open the eyes to the idea that we all struggle with problems in our life no matter what our wealth or status. There are some things in life that are far greater than wealth which determine happiness. Join us as we sit down to have a very down-to-earth and emotional conversation with the queen of the Washington Post. This is Life Could Be a Dream. Catherine, you grew up in a very wealthy family, and both of your parents were highly educated. Your father was pretty high in social and political society. Growing up, did you dream to become famous or something big, or did you feel as though you were already big and famous? No, no, I didn't feel like that. Like most young people, I had fantasies, but I recognized them even then of being just that. One was that it would be great to be a model. I once expressed this notion to my high school friend, Nancy White, who returned me to reality by asking, what of, houses? The other fantasy I suppose I shared with many other children was that of being, quote, famous. Maybe not a movie star, although I did have a wispy vision of entering a room like a Dietrich, but in some way being successful and having people know who I was. The strange thing is that after Watergate, to some extent, this fantasy became true. Yeah, so after Watergate, you know, you did become famous. So did it, like, did it feel good to finally become famous and successful on your own? Did it take some time to like settle in? I always found this hard to believe, both pleasurable and, in a way, a little embarrassing. But the shadow of my mother's enormous ego made the whole thing a reality check. Well, if Anuj and I ever became famous, we, would, we can definitely compare our reactions. But definitely after Watergate reporting, you were already the publisher of The Post, and your fame was increasing pretty steadily. And being in charge of a company means having to deal with uh, any problems that arise as well. Talk to us about the Pressman strike at the Post in 75 and its impact on the paper. Of course. While the strike at the Washington Post ended for the most part in February 1976, its reverberations are felt to this date. We learned a lot of necessary, albeit painful, lessons about the need for strong and compassionate management, knowledgeable about the task at hand, about labor relations, and about communications. And we put what we earned to good use. There were extraordinary positive outcomes for the company in great efficiency and flexibility and in the ability to manage. We were fortunate in that the strike led to a different and far stronger Washington Post. Without the groundwork laid by the strike, we would not have been able to build and grow. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. But what about you personally? How did the strike impact you? As for me personally, in many ways, the strike broke my heart. It was certainly the toughest work situation I had ever faced. It is ironic that I, who have never liked confrontations, should have been faced with this major one. You know, we all know a strike against your company can only be extremely difficult. 
um, but your personal life was even more so. It is known that your husband, Phil Graham, suffered from mental health issues most of his life, and especially so after taking your father's place as publisher of The Post. Uh, He took his own life while you were looking after him, and even though he didn't always treat you well, how much did his death and his condition disrupt your life? Well, for people who lose a spouse, the year that immediately follows is horribly painful, and so it was for me. After the first year, however, comes the more bearable kind of grief that allows accommodation to the outside world, the world that just carries on no matter what has happened to you. I know you took some time off after his death. Um, He went to Mexico. Uh, During this time after his death, did his death and the fact that now suddenly you had so much on your plate to deal with, you had, you know, your children, the post, um, did that sometimes make you feel depressed as well? Or did it make you feel stronger? Uh, Would you mind talking to us about that? Yeah, well, if I had any strength later, much of it came from surviving those exhausting months. At the same time, I was trying to keep the children's lives as normal as possible and the outside world unsuspecting. As a result of all of this, I came close to the breaking point myself. One morning, I felt almost physically paralyzed, but like many people, I was unable to admit I needed help and thought that there might be something weak or wrong with someone not an extremist looking to psychiatry for help. Uh, The whole experience with Phil's affair and... And then what he put you through afterwards by making the affair public and then continuing to make fun of you in front of others without even you realizing it. Only to come back and ask you to take care of him and put all of his troubles onto you. Did that, um, did that make you dislike him for what he had put you through and left you with? Or did you learn anything about yourself from it? What saddened me was all of those years we had labored through together to get him out of the depressions had resulted in his leaving me. None of my efforts had resulted in a happy ending, and I felt I didn't have the energy to take it on again. I just couldn't assume once again the heavy burden and responsibility of being his sole support system, particularly having seen my prior efforts come to nothing. I didn't necessarily feel as though I hated him, but what I didn't learn was to be more independent of Phil himself. In retrospect, I realized that relationships work best when there is more equality. Yeah, uh, we can't agree more with you, with you on that, and um, and that was lacking at the time, but it is getting better every generation, believe it or not, but now women have the authority in the household. Yeah, your wife will probably rule over you. I, I get that a lot, Max, but um, I have no problem with that. I will make a good stay-at-home dad, but for you, Catherine, you mentioned how being a woman in a man's world made you feel a little bit... Uh, you weren't you weren't you were a little bit unsecure of yourself um after Phil passed away did you even think of running the post at first when i came back in september 1963 to take up my life again there was a great deal of painful loneliness i didn't think one second of running the post but one of my friends suggested the idea to me and i told her that that would be ridiculous she replied saying it's ridiculous to think that you can't do it You've just been pushed down so far, you don't recognize what you can do. That was the first time anyone had mentioned the idea of my running the company, or even contemplated it in the past. It's hard to rethink decisions, and even harder to rethink non-decisions. Sometimes you don't really decide, you just move forward, and that is what I did. Move forward blindly and mindlessly into a new and unknown life, 
let alone no matter at what age or under what circumstance you have to remake your life. What I essentially did was to put one foot in front of the other, shut my eyes, and step off the edge. The, pr- the surprise was that I landed on my feet. And as, I, as we can all see, you took that idea and you ran with it. And it wasn't easy for you to gain control of the people either. I, I want to make that clear to our listeners. It was a very, still a very difficult task. But Catherine, what expectations did you set for yourself? And do you think you accomplished them? My expectations far exceeded my accomplishments. What most got in the way of doing the kind of job I wanted to do was my insecurity. Partly this arose from my particular experience, but to the extent that it stemmed from the narrow way women's roles were defined. It was a trait shared by most women in my generation. We had been brought up to believe that our roles were wives and mothers, educated to think we were put on earth to make men happy and comfortable and to do the same for our children. Being a woman in control of a company, even a small private company as ours was then, was so singular and surprising in those days that I necessarily stood down. Well, you broke through these normalities and became the first woman to run a Fortune 500 company, a Forbes 500 company. Uh, These are lists of the largest companies in the U.S. And you sure set a great example for women in future generations. And, you know, partly because of you, now it's it's less surprising to see a woman running a large company like yours. Did these insecurities before, did you have these insecurities before you ran the company and were living with Phil and your children? My privilege and wealth led to a comfortable lifestyle, but despite my pleasure in the life I was leading during these years, I can see now that I was having problems I didn't acknowledge. I was growing shyer and less confident as I got older. I didn't know how to look my best, and I didn't really know how to handle myself in social situations. I was afraid of being boring and still believed that people related to us entirely because of Phil. It's hard to convey how unsure I felt or why or how to explain how I could have been so unaware at the time. My insecurity had something to do with both my mother and Phil, and a lot to do with the role of most women in those days. As for Phil, at the same time that he was building me up, he was tearing me down as well. This was something that I did not recognize until much later. Yeah, well, that's that's something very difficult to realize in the moment if you're caught up in such a relationship. But now let's move on to the time you spent after you left the post. You mentioned that uh, working was a necessity to you. So what did you spend your time working on? To me, education is not only the most important societal problem, but the most interesting. Of course, there are countless numbers of education projects being implemented and enormous sums being spent across the country, but I wanted to do something simple and direct. Catherine started a preschool and early learning school in Washington, D.C., and worked to create more opportunities for education to all kids. So over the course of your life, uh, Catherine, you have been thrown the whole kitchen sink along with the fridge, microwave, every appliance, you know, people get their hand on. However, it seems as though growing, growing old was the hardest reality for you to face. How did you cope with growing old and, and how did you allow yourself to accept the reality of, of age? It is my family and these various enterprises that help me face the unavoidable problems of age and the inevitable loss of friends. Lucky as I have been in lifestyle, health, maintenance of things of interest, let no one ever think old age is a barrel of laughs. People begin to take your arm, ask if you want an elevator, and generally treat you like a relic. At the same time, there are some positives about being old. 
Worry, if not gone, no longer haunts you in the middle of the night. You are free or freer to turn down the things that bore you and spend time on matters and with people that you really enjoy. I am grateful to be able to go on working and feel lucky to like my new life so that I don't miss the old one. If you learn one thing from me, Max and Anuj, it's this. And promise me that you will never forget this. Yes, ma'am. It is dangerous when you are older to start living in the past. Now that it is out of my system, I intend to live in the present, looking forward to the future. I only wish that I would have done so earlier. Okay, Max. So you know, listening to what you have to say、um, is very interesting because, of course, I didn't really know who she was before.、Um, did you know who she was? Not really. You sort of introduced me to her. Yeah, I just found her on、um, Google search, and I thought she would be interesting for this week's episode. And so Max and I, of course, Catherine Graham passed away、um, 20 years ago, and、uh, Max and I read her her book that she wrote, and、um, we we listened to it because. She actually narrated her autobiography, and、um, it was interesting because you could really hear the emotion in her voice at certain times when she talked about her husband, her husband's mental health, you know, her children. You could, you could, you could really hear that in her in her voice, and you know, that's something we wouldn't have have, have noticed if we had read the book. Yeah, and it helps you understand where she's coming from and like what she's feeling at each point, like when she talked about the different parts in her life. It was very、yeah. good, and so, yeah. So, so growing up, you know, her father,、um, you know, wealthy family, and you know, he just goes out there and he just goes to an auction, and and just purchases the Washington Post. The way she talks about it is like as if like, you know, your father goes to like an auction and purchases like I don't know, like a, like a like a like a painting that's worth like twenty bucks, you know. Yeah. I, also, it was. I mean, there's that, but then there's the fact that she didn't really talk about it. She didn't make like a big deal out of it. I mean, in her autobiography, at least, she just she acted like everything was sort of hunky dory, everything was normal, and then she just she mentioned that like Richard Nixon was like best friends with her father, and you're like, wow, that is that's surprising. Yeah, like like、uh, the president and like like she just talks about how like oh you know the president made my father head of this. Or,、um, I'm not sure if it was Nixon, Max. It might have been um. It might have been Roosevelt, actually. Roosevelt. Oh, Roosevelt. That would、yeah. make more sense. Nineteen thirty-three purchased it, but still, like the way she goes about talking about her life and her childhood, that was like、um, much different from the, no- the normal childhood. But she makes it seem as though it is the normal childhood. You know, if if we were aliens,、yeah. we'd be like, hey, you know, what's a normal childhood like? We read her book. I would think that that's whatever childhood is like. Yeah, because she she tells us about her fantasies, and it's like, sort of like what, what like one would expect of a little girl, like that she'd want to be a model and a movie star、yeah. and famous and things like that, and just I mean, yeah, that's just normal. Yeah, yeah, and then um, like, she as she grew up, you know, she did start working for her father in the post, um, but you know, once she met Phil, like she started to take that role of just you know. Of the gender roles changing, and and as we saw, like during her lifespan, she was what? How old? How old was she? Was a、uh, Max? We looked it up, right? 
what was she like eight oh uh, 84 she was like 83 84 yeah yeah right. imagine imagine how much change we would have experienced like like the amount of change that happened in the 20th century from like 1933 to 19 like 89 89 like that's 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 crazy change you know i know but sometimes i think about like i think we're also gonna have that i mean maybe we won't have that extent of the change but i mean i like to think that we would go through a good amount of change too i'd like to i'd like to see like when she was born how the world looked like and then when she when she died what the world looked like and that that's crazy you're right there's so many things that happened in her lifetime like when she was born like what they were like finishing up probably world war ii world war one sorry like the rolling wrong 20s 1920s and then yeah like like honestly i I, i'm not very good with change so i hope our life doesn't change that much i hope if it does change i hope it changes for the better but i am content yes of course where we are somewhat today somewhat somewhat somewhat. this year is not the best but 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 hopefully we see it's better um so like talking about like phil now you know like what were your impressions of phil like you know when she first met him he seemed like she talked about how he well how they met that was a very big big part in her autobiography and she talked about like how she met him through like a group of friends and he seemed very nice. I mean, she talked so highly of him. Like, at the, when she first describes him, you think, oh, he seems like such a great guy. I hope they're happy together and things like that. You never, I never really suspected that it would turn out the way it did. Yeah, and even when they were, like, when they were married, like, early on, and um, it's still, like, like, we didn't, like, many of you, for those of you who do know Catherine Graham, and most of our audience does, uh, well, we have a bit of an older generation as our audience but um you guys might know Catherine graham and you all might know her her husband phil graham who was publisher of the post for a little bit around 10 years uh, maybe a little less um and you might know that he took his own life but max and i didn't know this coming into you know listening about her story and so i was a little surprised when she started talking about the depression um because like from what i was hearing about the relationship it sounded like you know he was encouraging her work at the post um she wanted to quit the post and he was like oh you're working for... he's like hey so you're, you're gonna work for the competition like you know it didn't sound like um he was like you know facing mental health issues or you know that that depressed yeah well it's hard to recognize when someone so close to you has that disease that mental disease because like as she was so attached to him and she thought she didn't want to think anything was wrong with him, but like, there was obviously something different. Like, I think she realized that there was something different, but she didn't. She didn't fear the worst. She she tried to stay optimistic, which is a good, good. It's good in a way, but also it kind of it led to her not really understanding much and her not being able to help as much. I don't think. Yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like that's a good thing you brought up. She didn't understand him, uh, mostly when she found out about yeah. the affair. Um, she couldn't believe it that it was true and she she didn't know why she didn't know whether like she had given up everything to help her husband um she even she even said you recall this like early on it was her her paycheck her salary that was keeping them afloat you know um not his at at one point and she was the one that you know got him started at the post got him started with his career and um 
you know, it was it was really hard for her. Yeah, but I think this difficulty that she experienced it helped her get through the rest of her life and get like accomplish the things that she did. Because she talks about the months that she had to deal with this grief and pain after Phil's death. It helped her with all the other difficulties that she had to face in life, like the strikes she talked about. She could deal with that just because of sort of the strength that that those months gave her. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, this just goes back, you know, to like, you know, suicide. Um, it's a very hard topic to discuss, and but as we are here to discuss the philosophical ideas of life, I think this is the place we should discuss it. Um, it's it can be it can be thought of as selfish, you know, because you know if you might be in a hard a hard spot but you know by doing that you're putting everyone else who's been trying to get you better who really cares about you um you're putting them you, you it's almost like you're saying their efforts are for for nothing and um and maybe sometimes you don't realize that people are, are caring about you but at the same time it's hard to make come to these conclusions about everyone when we don't know everyone's story you know we don't even know phil's story his full story we only know it through the point of view of Catherine. Exactly. We don't. That that's very true. I think that that's something that everyone. I think the the what you talk about that single story. I mean, we talked about it a lot in school and a lot in life generally. Just if you don't know the full story or the full background of someone, you can't you can't really judge them or tell whether like why why did you do this? Why did you do that? There's so many other things, possibilities that you could have done, but you really don't know. What they were thinking so it's very difficult yeah it just that's just what makes it difficult to judge anyone you know um it's, it's very hard I, that's why I, I think we can't judge anyone you know you can unless you really know them it's it's very difficult and even then so you know so so what is like your recommendation for that to how, how to assess i think how, how would you assess someone Definitely not on first impressions. I think very you can learn very little from the way someone looks, or the way someone dresses, or the way someone speaks. I think you can learn a surface level sort of interpretation, but to really like understand sort of how they think, I think you have to you have to talk to them in depth about certain things, like see their uh, opinions on many different things, and then only you can piece together how like, and you have to hear their whole story, like. How did they grow up? What experiences did they have that like shaped the way that they think now? And that, that only will take time. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. For me, it's it's really just like a feeling, you know, it's just my gut. It's, and and maybe that's not the correct way to do it. It's probably not the correct way to do it. But and you say, you know, you I, I agree with you. You shouldn't, you know, judge people on the, on the first impression. But to be honest with you, I think the first impression does mean a lot whether we acknowledge it or not um making that first impression like that plays a big part you know whether that's a job interview meeting someone new um usually the first contact with someone new is can doesn't always have to but can set the tone for the future relationship it, i think it often does and i think that's that's sort of a problem in our world today because people we judge people just based on they're like they're very like they're, it's just like instinct when you see someone dressed a certain way let's okay give it a typical example let's say you see someone dressed 
with a mohawk and they have metal rings and they're wearing all black clothes and you're like oh he's a rock star or he's <laughs> he's goth or something like yeah. that but often and then you just and instantly in your head you make certain kind of you associate certain things with other things and all these connotations which is i don't think it's a very good thing yeah it's not but it happens i, I admit to it i, th- I think does. one one thing that can be fun is to like knowing that people do have these certain connotations and, and i think more so the older generation than the younger ones you know like old old people I, I like old people they can be fun to talk to they've got a lot of stories i like stories but i think it's also fun to kind of like play with people um maybe maybe dress like your rock star you know be like yeah i'm studying like thermodynamics i got a phd you know um, i think that's kind of funny yes. um I think yeah, to play people's minds is fun. Yeah, mostly old yeah. people. But yeah, do you think? Uh, well, in terms of like what we know so far, we don't know that much about Catherine Graham. We just have listened to her autobiography. But what do you think she would think about first impressions? I mean, she did have her first impressions about Phil. That's sort of what gave that initial attraction. But what do you think she would say about first impressions after? after her whole life when she's gone through all these experiences hmm. um let's see i think i think she would say that they still she would agree with us in that they still play a major part in um in how people react to each other um there's no doubt about that um i think she would also try i i think i'm I, i'm not sure what you would say but one thing i'd also be interested to know is is knowing what happened with Phil, if she would still make the same decision to marry him again. Yeah, that's that's difficult to say. Do you th- either here or there? Yeah, I, I th- like remember with Ralph, um, our first episode, we asked him like if mm-hmm. he would do it again. Like he he was there on the, on the gold medal match, like the the finals, and you know he lost by one point. And if he would have known what the other guy did, would he have done something different? Or would he have done the same thing and come second every single time? And he said every single time he would have made the same, would have done the same thing, and he would have lost. And he would have, like, yeah. um, swallowed that and lived with it. And and not been ashamed, not not not, not have regretted his actions. Uh, may, maybe Catherine would have felt the same way. Kind of. Yeah, I don't think... I think regret is something very specific to each person i think or in terms of it at least what i think i think i don't necessarily regret anything in my life because all the things that i've done that i look down upon that i've done in my life it's not really regret i think of it as learning experiences you learn from the things that you did and if you didn't do those things you wouldn't have learned from them and you wouldn't have taken the path that you did so i think it's all very subjective yeah and also when you give you give all that you've got in in one thing I don't think there's any room for regret. Like Ralph gave it all mm-hmm. he had that day, and Catherine gave it all she had her whole life. And so, mm-hmm. once you do that, like there's even even if it doesn't go the way you ever wanted it to go, um, of course maybe Catherine's you know she lost her husband but successful career. Um, but even though it didn't go the way you want, I think you can still kind of feel um, like you've kind of accomplished. You feel like the weight it's gone off your shoulders because you've given all you got you've got nothing left exactly and so 
And I think you can, you've yeah. nothing left to regret because you've done all you could. Exactly, and I think this plays exactly into what she told us that she told us she that we should never forget this. It's one thing, and she she ended our interview by saying that it's dangerous when you're older to start living in the past. And I think that that's a very true statement. I think it's it plays into our re- regret. I think people think so much about their past actions. And she says she only wished she could have done so earlier that she lived in the present. Yeah, I, I, that's good. I, because she did talk about um, her insecurities, and how she, I feel like, you know, part of that was definitely the role of woman, and most maybe most of it how, you know, she was a, a man, a woman in a man's world, and that was hard. Even though she was the head of her own company, um, like not many. She didn't have many women working for her, you know. Except, like, you know, they were the secretaries, yeah. but there's not that many professional women working for her. And so she was surrounded by men. She had to, um, she had to kind of lead them. And, and that made her feel insecure. And I, maybe during all of that, all she was thinking of, like, was all she, th- all she was thinking about was, oh, you know, what, what could I have done better? Oh, what did I do wrong? Which, instead of being like, instead of having her mind in the present. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I think those insecurities came from the insecure. I think her insecurities about oh, what could I have done better. I think it stems from women's, all of women's, the whole womankind, all of their insecurities in the past with men griefing them on certain topics and them having to, or then having the stereotype that they should stay home and the men should work, things like that. I think that's where her insecurities stem from. If she's the only woman working with tons of men, I think. She probably thinks about what oh what do they think of me and yeah yeah all that kind of opposed to if, if she was a man working there uh, maybe yeah yeah so so yeah we've talked about regret suicide her life how how down to earth she was even though she was you know wealthy she was brought up very wealthy um one thing our listeners might be looking forward to is um part of the reason why they know Catherine graham is because of the watergate um investigations so yes. we would just like to talk about that for a little bit um so yes Catherine graham was the publisher of the washington post um while um the investigation was going on um it didn't it didn't make her famous and she did receive a lot of criticism from that too remember she's talking about like how people were writing her like oh this is bad journalism and stuff right do you remember that yeah yes yes and so you know she wasn't the one doing the reporting Uh, it was bernstein and um his friend and so they did the reporting, but she was the publisher. She was the one who was like printing, in charge of printing stuff out, and that's what made her famous. And it, you know, <clears throat> the Washington Post was actually, they were printing the papers out. It wasn't until CBS aired um, a show, because because you got to remember Nixon was was loved by the people, and so not a lot of people believed that um, he could he could be be part of this. Watergate scandal, and they thought they were, she was ruining the president's name and dividing the country. Like, how could you do this? And so, but CBS aired a special about Watergate using the investigations by the Post, using pictures by the Post, and the, um, the public opinion started to shift. And that is what also made, you know, Catherine Graham popular, too. So that's just a little bit of. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, yeah. What made her sort of like this famous or like a well-known figure i think many people credited credited her along with the newspaper as being like sort of the fall of richard nixon i mean 
he he resigned right after the the Watergate, after the whole scandal. And I think that's where most people sort of knew her from. I think that's what that that's what made her famous. But I don't know. I don't think I'd like to be famous for a sort of thing like that. But you know, really? I don't know. I don't what know. do you think? I'd be fine with that. Standing up for <laughs> for the inequality. Yeah, what Nixon did wasn't wasn't right at all. He thought he was above the law, so he had to be put down. I think that'd be. It's true. That's true. That'd be something to be proud of. That's true. On second thought, yes, <laughs> like, I, I would have to agree with, our, with you with our on that president, one. If you were the one, like, I don't know, say Trump, something with his taxes, you didn't find them, but you, you went out there and you found that he hadn't been paying his taxes. He's, you know, tax fraud, and you know they put in um, Al Capone, went to Alcatraz. I went to Alcatraz a couple, of, I don't know, like five years ago, and I saw Al Capone, and I was like, I didn't even know who he was. I was like, who is this Al Capone? Every, everyone's been in here for like mass murder, like three murders, like double homicide, you know. And then this guy's in for like mm-hmm. tax tax evasion. I was like, what? Like, yeah. But because he was like the big mob guy, and the only thing they got him on was tax evasion. Tax evasion. So, um, if you were the guy who found like Trump tax evasion, you would be proud. I would be proud of you, Max. Ah, thank you, Anuj. Thank you. I would also be proud of you. I wouldn't have done anything, but I would just be proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, we like to thank um. Thank you for listening. Yes, and we would also like to thank Elena for helping us out with the with the reading of Catherine Graham's autobiography. Yes, um, she's back again. We hope you enjoyed her uh, her voice. Um, she will be joining us again in a couple of weeks, uh, maybe the next two episodes. Um, we also want to thank Catherine Graham for writing down her most inner thoughts. Um, for us to read, sharing them with us, and even reading her autobiography for us so we could really hear her emotion. Um, Personal History is the name of her autobiography and the source of our of our podcast for today. Yes, tune in for the next episode. Yes, until then, we'll see you. <laughs>